Coffee with Humans is live, candid conversations between strangers who become friends. Made possible with your support. Subscribe, share, and comment on your favorite platform. Get Coffee with Humans mugs and more. Links are at coffeewithhumans.com. Thanks for joining me. It is true. We are live once again with Coffee with Humans with my new friend, Aubrey. Aubrey, welcome to Coffee with Humans. Thank you. So this is uh, especially an exciting day because uh, I I know a, I, only from the telephone number that you entered in the form <laughs> uh, that you are not anywhere near uh, northern Illinois, which is where I'm from. So it's super early in the morning for me. Where are you located in the world? I am in Lyon, France. Uh, it's 2.30 in the afternoon, which is perfectly fine coffee time in France. Um, and that's just for, for people who don't know French geography super well. It's um, on the eastern side. I have a view in the city. You have a view of the Alps, and it's about two hours from Paris on a train. On a train. Wow. That uh, sounds beautiful. Yeah. It's a nice town. So, so you're, you weren't... Uh... You weren't always from France, I'm gathering. Uh, I, you, I perfected my American accent. You couldn't tell. <laughs> You're very good at it. Um, your name's also Aubrey, uh, which right. isn't it's probably it's a typical French name. No, I, have to, I always have to explain. Uh, they call me Audrey, I have a and it's still difficult. Um, no, I'm actually from Chicago, um, so I'm familiar with, with Northern Illinois. And oh, wow. I moved to San Francisco for about seven years, and then I came here October 2019. Wow, from Chicago, huh? Well, that's what I tell the French people because they don't know where Geneseo, Illinois is, but I'm from the oh. cities, actually. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. Yeah, see, I tell people the same thing, too. Uh, like, I'm from Rockford. Like, but then the people are like, I don't know where Rockford is. Like, it, I'm from Chicago. Yeah, I did live in Chicago for like seven years, so I, it's legitimate. I went to college there. Um, but it's just easier to say that. Wow. Well, well, welcome to Coffee with Humans. I'm excited to have you on. I do have to ask this question. Uh, why did why did you choose to click the button to have coffee with me? <laughs> I, you know, um, this is actually kind of who I am anyway. Like I make friends with strangers all the time, um, even during COVID. Uh, and so I, I think that it sounded like fun and um, you know, a different way to, to meet people and to meet your, your network as well. Yeah. Well, that, that's awesome. Um, we, we don't know each other and that's, uh, for our viewers and listeners, I met Aubrey now, uh, 13 minutes ago. Uh, and we did some tech checks and talked about nothing. Uh, and then we go, well, then we went live. And so you're meeting Aubrey with me. Uh, so welcome to our viewers and listeners around the world and on the podcast. Uh, happy to have you with us. Now, Aubrey is originally from the Chicago area, and then you, now you're in France. And you speak French? Is I mean, you, you rattle it off yeah. pretty easily. Um, well, I speak French pretty well. Um, there are, um, in Europe, you see more of like the levels, like an A1 would be, you know, you're just wearing bonjour, je m'appelle Aubrey. And then a C1 would be professionally fluent. And I'm like a B2. Um, I actually was my major, but I you know, started in Chicago, not France. Um, and I, that was a while ago. Uh, so I'm pretty fluent, but I make a lot of mistakes, but I can hang out with French people all day. It's a huge problem. It makes a big difference being immersed in a culture 
to be able to learn the language uh, from my experience. Yeah. And um, I can say I was not that immersed during COVID <laughs> working nope. at home with Americans. Um, so <laughs> my husband's American. So we're actually speaking English all day. Oh, okay. You didn't force yeah. each other to, to speak French to one another? Uh, we did sometimes to be cute. Um, but it's his, it's his, he's, it's new, it's his third language. Um, so he picked it up, he's picking it up fast, but he still didn't really speak much when he moved. Yeah. My daughter took French or is taking French and, um, and, and the, she went through a time when she had to, she was supposed to speak French like all the time. I'm not certain that she did, but, uh, she was supposed to, <laughs> she was supposed to do it. And it, and, uh, and, I, and, and it, it, that kind of level of immersion uh, can bring on a language pretty quickly. But, uh, you know, I took three years of Spanish a long time ago, and I thought I knew Spanish, you know, pretty well. Uh, and then I got to, uh, I think I went to Honduras uh, and, and for a couple of weeks. And it started like, things started clicking because it had a reason. Not just like I'm, you know, hanging around in class or something like that. I had a reason to, to speak the language to somebody right. who cared on a different level than, you know, Spanish class. And, uh, and then when I left that, when I left that, I, boy, I, that Spanish left my mind pretty quickly. Um, so I don't know if I'm, maybe yeah. I don't learn languages quickly. I don't, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> it's just me. No, that, I think that's pretty normal. Um, it does, it does definitely come back. Um, but, you know, you, you, Use it or you lose it, as they say. Mm -hmm. So what brought you to, uh, what brought you to France? Yeah, I, so I am a co-founder of a wine club and app called Palette Club. And it used AI to match wines to your taste. So I was coming to Europe really frequently to look for wines. I'm also an advanced sommelier. Um, and so I was, I was leading wine buying. And I was coming to Europe really often to look for wines to um, add to our club. And I would, I'd be gone for so long away from my husband back in San Francisco um, at the time. And so we decided to move here and to, um, you know, close the gap a little bit on moving as I was doing all this wine travel. But, you know, that, that changed a lot given the different circumstances over our plan in 2020. Uh, but I was a French major. So also I think, I'm not sure it's probably more that I created a situation in my life to make an excuse to move to France, more so than it was a necessity, if that makes sense. Totally. Absolutely. <laughs> I think, I, uh, I, I think, um, I think a, a lot of us end up creating situations in our lives uh, to, to accomplish dreams and hopes and set ourselves up for the things that we want to do. Uh, so, I mean, good, good for you for traveling across the world. Um, I mean, it all comes together, right? If, I mean, if you're a uh, sommelier and then uh, palate, you know, are really in the wines, clearly with this palate club thing uh, mm -hmm. and then traveling, it seems to make sense in my mind, at least. I mean, clearly it makes sense in yours. Yeah. I mean, it, that's one thing, even just from an excitement and a passion standpoint, one thing that I was really excited about before I moved to Europe was that here, you know, you get on and our plane ride and then you, have, you can go to Germany and then Lyon is actually really well situated in terms of Europe because France is already kind of in the middle and then Lyon and like four hours from northern Italy um pretty close to like Germany and Switzerland um and then you know it's just a quick plane ride to Spain or Portugal and everywhere in France I mean it's really well connected by train 
So I was excited just to be able to discover all of these new regions that I tasted before and learned about. And um, it's just always different to actually see the soil and meet the people and experience the wine in person. It seems that um, it seems that your love for wine um, is that is that what brought you to Palette Club or why how, why why did you do this thing Palette Club? <laughs> yeah, well, I had. Um... I was a psalm at uh, like Michelin starred restaurants for a long time. And yeah. I had started working for myself um, that same year, 2017. Uh, so when, you, when you're a GM wine director for a restaurant, you end up doing a lot of grassroots marketing and a lot of networking organically. And so I co-founded a marketing agency that specialized in wine at the time. Um, and so we're doing a lot of event marketing and social media, things like that. And I was introduced to Nikla, the, the founder, uh, later that year. And it was just a good fit between having um, the need for someone on the, on the team and, and you know, part of the, the board of directors, whatever, that really knows wine and can help build that algorithm and identify all the data points that we needed to create the data science. Um, and also understood uh, you know, marketing and um, can be strategic professionally from that standpoint. Yeah. So you... It was, so, it was just a chance encounter and then it happened. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, a lot of life is chance encounters, right? Just the unexpected yeah. <laughs> things that, that turn into something then as we do, as as we kind of move forward with them. Now, mm-hmm. uh, this the Palette Club thing, I'm, I, I'm intrigued. I've done a lot of consulting with entrepreneurs and, and business owners through the years. Uh, and... um. I, I also like wine. So we'll be, we'll be good friends. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, so out of curiosity, how there's, there's lots of different wines uh, throughout the world um, that are, uh, depends on, I guess, depends on the region sometimes whether a person likes it or not, but sometimes it's not necessarily regional. It's a, it's a, it's a flavor type issue or a, you know, how it sits on the palate type of issue. How do you how do you match up whether a person likes a wine or not, or what other wines they might like, without getting them into a rut of things that they always like, and expand right. their horizon into things that they've never tasted before? Yeah, great question. And and honestly, that uh, is a huge part of our mission is being able to, um, I mean, because wine is so much about sharing and exploring and discovery, but it's very intimidating and it's very confusing. And so people often, if, even if they do like wine, they tend to say, oh, you know, I only drink Cabernet or I only drink this, or they might be curious, but you don't want to just spend $30 and then not like something. Um, so the way that we built it is that, as I mentioned, we identified 200 uh, data points. So those are traits that are found in wine. So things like there's there our main profile, which is like tannin, acidity, fruitiness, sweetness, et cetera, alcohol. And then there's all the secondary traits which come down to things like black tea, strawberries, um, white fruit versus tart fruit. And every time we add a wine to the collection, because I always finish wine, we're not making the wine. Uh, we, uh, in advanced sommelier, uh, rate it. And since as some, we were trained to taste more objectively. So we actually have a scale to say like, okay, Barolo is high tannin. And then, you know, maybe this other grape is, is low or medium tannin, 
Um, so we can identify that and it's usually typed by a few people. So that was kind of, um, it's more objective. And every time you rate it one through five stars and over time, the algorithm starts to learn like, okay, like Jason really likes, uh, you know, full bodied wine. Um, he doesn't seem to care too much about what flavor of fruit it is, but he really seems to like more ripe fruit versus tart fruit. And so maybe normally you would drink a Napa cab, but did you know that you'd probably also like this Portuguese wine from the Alan Page out because it's ripe and, and uh, full-bodied as well. Okay. Yeah, but then they can still rate. So maybe they're like, no, I don't like this wine, but then we find those patterns of things they like or don't like. Yeah. How does that beat out uh, my process of going to the store and picking up random bottles that seem... Uh, <laughs> See, so you'll like, you'll love this. <laughs> you'll, or, or you'll be like, you're such an idiot. I don't know. You'll, you, you, who knows? Who knows what you'll think? But I've got a good, real, real good friend of mine uh, who had gifted a uh, bottle of it's, I don't know, it's, it retails probably 250. Um, and I, and, uh, and so he was gifted this expensive bottle of wine for his birthday and says, Hey, we gotta, we gotta taste this. And I was like, happily, you know. Uh, so then I, then I blind taste tested it against, um, <laughs> this is so stupid. Uh, I blind taste tested it against Gato Negro, uh, from Target, which is about yeah. $4, <laughs> mm -hmm. maybe five. I don't know. And I, come on, like, I know, I know there's going to be a difference. Like I've, I, I understand a bit about wine and production and mass production and all that stuff. Um, but it's it's interesting to sit, you know, to really taste extremes between yeah. two wines. I mean, the Gato Negro was like, oh, it wasn't super sweet, it wasn't super dry, but it was kind of in the middle. And it, but it it didn't stop. It like it didn't it didn't uh, call attention to itself. You drank it, you're like, oh, okay, that's wine. Um, and yeah. it, it didn't have a lot of body to it. It's pretty, you know, watery or whatever. And then this other bottle, uh, as soon as you tasted it, it it it, it almost like um it hit your palate and then it was almost like stop it, it, yeah. it it's like whoa and i and and then all of a sudden more more flavors started coming through and it and it had a um there's there it had a uh i don't know like an authority to it that, that sort of demanded that you just pause for a moment and and that was blind taste tested i mean we didn't you know i i didn't even know which one was which uh, but there was a, a significant difference. And then we finished off that bottle of wine, uh, but it, it was impossible to drink it quickly. It had to be, yeah. it just had to be sipped because it, the, the flavors were so complex. Yeah, it gave me chills actually. I'm not even making that up. Because uh, that's, that's exactly what good wine is. And uh, a lot of people ask if it's worth it, but it's really, is it a drinking wine or is it a thinking wine? And it is mm. true that when you're drinking fine wine, it is more, you have a conversation. There's so much more going on. It gets your brain working and you do drink it slower because you want to savor it. Just like, well, I don't know. But I mean, like if you have a really, really beautiful meal, hopefully it's not going to be just a burger that you just devour. And it's perfect. You know, there's some times where you just want the burger wine and you just yeah. want to drink it and you're, you're just with your friends and it's not a big deal. Um, 
But I would hope that, you know, your experience that, for example, like a Michelin starred restaurant, or maybe you're spending $250 on the meal, you're going to want to stop and be like, oh, wow, like there's, there's so much more depth here. And that really starts to, I mean, in my opinion, I think that's when you start to connect, um, you know, your body with, with the earth, with the experience, the other people around you. And it, for me, I, I don't buy shoes or purses. I buy wine. I have a, a mm. wine problem, actually. Well, no, okay, let me back up. I have a wine buying problem. I don't have a wine drinking problem. <laughs> Let's be clear. <laughs> um, but I mean, like, I would just so much rather spend my money on an experience than, than a handbag. Yeah. The, the good sure. memories will last longer than Louis Vuitton shoes or whatever. Yeah. So uh, in, in, terms of, in terms of tasting wines, my, my new strategy is to simply go to a, you know, a, a wine shop and then find, find a wine somewhere in the 20 ish dollar range, uh, maybe down to 12 bucks on the low end. Um, and kind of stick in that range. I found that good wines are in, you know, so they taste some pretty good wines in that end. And then once in a while drop down to something that's, that, um, is, is less expensive just to go, just to be like, I wonder, like, I wonder if this is because, uh, it, to me, it is all about the experience. Like, you know, life is, mm -hmm. life is to be lived. And so go grab, you know, go grab a wine, uh, and just experiment with it. I, I love the experimentation process of wine because there are so many variations, uh, even, even from, you know, one, one, uh, you know, manufacturer year to year, there's so many variations sometimes yeah. in, in what something will taste like that, uh, I, I find that I find a great joy. Um, just like coffee. Like I love, I love coffee and I love experimenting with coffee and different ways to make coffee. And sometimes, you know, make it, sometimes, you know, make it with a mocha pot and then sometimes make it with a pour over. And then sometimes make it with my percolator from the 1970s. They're just, <laughs> just to, just to experience almost this ritual of uh, kind of the gift of the gift of food and the gift of drinking. Do you, how do you, how do you select your wines then? Is it totally random or do you have a system other than the, the price point? So sometimes it's either I look at, uh, I'll, I'll like do some research or something like that. Um, you know, come, come up with a blog post that says, here's a good wine in this kind of range. But a lot of times it's which ones have I not had? Go, go buy one of those bottles and then crack it open. <laughs> you know, and see, see what you think. See what happens. And then, and then, and then sometimes log them. Um, and, and look into, you know, exactly what, what did I like about this? Uh, so as to know whether I'd ever want to purchase it again. And do you, um, do you go to the same shop then all the time so that we have that process of elimination? I don't, I don't go to the same shop all the time. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's random. It sort of hits me. There are certain, uh, there's certain grocery stores in town that have a, a massive wine selection. And then, you know, you'll go. I'll I'll go to you know a friend's restaurant or something like that, and he's got you know a particular like I talked to I talked to a buddy of mine the yeah. other day, and I was like, hey, I I'm gonna need an expensive bottle of wine for our yearly expensive bottle tasting, uh, which I now do with my friend after that one experience, right? It's like the yearly expensive bottle tasting, and um and and I was talking directly to the distributor, and I was like, dude, man, you you need to find me something, yeah, uh, and he was like, hmm. And, and, uh, and so that I can, you know, just make a call and get this, get, get whatever his recommendation was. I have no idea what it is. 
Um, I'm trusting that he isn't going to lead me astray, but I, I also get that he's in the business of selling wine. Um, right. So who knows? Might be the thing that he's just sitting on a shelf. I don't know. So, okay, this is, I think this is a fun question. Um, grocery stores tend to carry really big mass production wines, um, as well as, you know, like Gatunero. So do you have, and I mean, uh, most of the time they're crap, but it is something, you know, like anyone, because all the time as a thumb, you know, my sister-in-law will call me from Virginia and be like, what wine should I buy? And I'm like, I have no idea. Like, I don't know what's there. I don't know what you're, you know, or then my friend in Illinois or Southern California, wherever, but there are wines that you can pretty much find anywhere in the States at least. Um, so do you have a favorite grocery store wine? Um, in Illinois, it's, it's what, Jewel Osco in Safeway that you have? Uh, Chicago's got Jewel Osco. I've got, um, I've got like a Valley Produce thing, which is okay. a lot of, um, a lot of ethnic foods. It's massive and um, cool. you can find foods from all over the world, which uh, you, you just wouldn't find um, in a typical grocery store. So um, their wine selection is pretty good in the back. I, uh, there is a particular bottle conundrum, which I felt was very good. Um, and it's probably in the mid twenties, $22 range or something like that. And I don't remember, I don't know who, I don't know who makes that, but it's a pretty, yeah. for the, at least according to my scoring system, the value, the, the price to, the price to, to the quality of like drinkable wine was like, wow, this, this could be a more expensive, this should be a more expensive wine than it is because it, it's, um, it's like a notch above the other wines, let's say in the $20 range. Conundrum. Yeah. I think I've heard of it. I don't think I've had it. It's very good. Um, oh, well, all the next time I'm back and you can't find them. It's really hard to find American wines. Yeah. You only find like the top Napa wines and they're totally overpriced. Um, not, I mean, not like even more so than the normal markup. But a, a wine that would be, you know, thirty dollars in the states would be eighty euro here, so like a hundred dollars or something. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, I really like for an inexpensive um, grocery store wine. I actually really like Chateau Saint Michel. You can pretty much find the name. They have like white and red. Their Cabernet yeah. is pretty good, ten bucks. It's not a you know a stop right now wine, but it's it's good. It's well balanced. It's well made. So how do you, uh, your palate club wines, um, those are internationally sourced. I mean, that's why you're in France, I'm assuming. Um, yeah, they're internationally sourced. Um, we do, um, we're building up import in the future. We haven't actively started that. We've created a lot of relationships, um, okay. but a lot of it is also exploring and meeting. We, we have, we work with a lot of distributors in California. Um, so this way we can still, um, I mean, sometimes the distributors, um, the importers have picked some stuff up that we found, um, but it also gives us an opportunity to really understand um, the different wines locally, to go there and see the soils and talk to the winemakers um, and understand their values more. Mm. Uh, in particular, if you really like working with sustainable wines, which is a very gray term in the wine industry, um, in part because the um, Certifications vary from country to country. And um, there's so many small things. Like, for example, maybe 
someone is in the process of converting to organic, which takes five years, and so they don't have the label yet, but we've been there and they're producing organic wine. Or maybe they're in a region where the wine are really, all those vineyards are really close together and their neighbor uses pesticides, so they can't do organic. Um, or maybe they, they have to, uh, once in a blue moon, let's say once every 10 years, they have to spray because they just live in a really vulnerable area that gets a lot of mm-hmm. moisture and so they can't make organic wine but it, you know overall like a sustainable vineyard um so it's really nuanced and so it gives us a little bit more discernment and then just looking at a label yeah yeah that the, I the, the uh, oh international ones, yes but it is international yeah. okay yeah the word the yeah. the word you're right the word sustainable is a fuzzy fuzzy word not just in yeah. wine uh because i mean arguably yeah. what what does sustainable mean um right <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I mean, because to some degree, to some, to some degree, uh, you know, you throw, throw some grapes into a field and the grapes tend to take care of themselves over the long haul, not over the short period yeah. of time, you know, year to year, you, it could be a disaster one or, or it could be amazing, but over the yeah. long haul, come, come back to that place, uh, 500 years from now and you'll still find some grapes hanging around. Um, so it's this sustainable now the, um, <laughs> In in terms of international wines, uh, since since I'm, I mean you're you're an expert in wines, so the different regions of Europe, because you mentioned also the easy travel, the different regions of Europe produce significantly different flavor profiles uh, in in wines. What is that attributed to? I well, there are a lot of there are a lot of things that go into it. But I think the biggest one is is um, well, we say terroir, but I'll, I'll be even more simple and say climate is a big factor. Um, for example, in Bordeaux, it's um, maritime climate, so it doesn't really get too cold in the winters. Um, it gets a fair amount of sunshine, but it, um, uh, so it can ripen the, the Cabernet grapes in a way that, say, Burgundy can't, which it gets a lot of uh, cold weather, a lot of rain, a lot of hail. But Bordeaux still rains a lot more than it does in Napa Valley. So even though it's, um, you know, it can't counter up in the grapes, it's a little bit warmer than Burgundy. It's going to have so much more cloud cover than Napa Valley gets, that gets, you know, something like 300 days of sunshine a year. Um, so those grapes are going to get even bigger and even juicier. Um, okay. But beyond that, there's, there's soil type, there's tradition as well. You know, some regions have just been making that same wine for you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. And so yeah. it's going to stick and with is what it they a, do. <laughs> is it also a matter of yeast that's available or, or you know, in, in certain areas? Or is that is the yeast issue uh, besides certain uh, folks who, who uh, use, and it's, I don't think it's a wine, but it's, um, what's that? What's that stuff? There's a, uh, there's a thing where they use the natural, they use a natural yeast, um, a naturally occurring yeast, and they'll naturally ferment it instead of, uh, I don't know. It's a particular type of wine or beer, maybe, or something like that. That's um... yeah. So, um, well, I, yeah, they, they would say that they just use natural yeast, um, uh, and so the the yeast that um, you you can inoculate yeast, so it doesn't matter too much. Um, I think that sometimes what you might the word you might be thinking of because you mentioned beers for cannabis yeast, um, which is bacteria that sometimes happens um that's one danger of of yeast 
and like to fuse in the natural environment as you might have less control over the elements. Um, but uh, I don't think that that's a huge factor. It does matter a little bit. I mean, for example, like sourdough from San Francisco tastes different than sourdough in Lyon and it's because of the yeast and the natural elements. Um, but say people can control it and buy packaged yeast. Now I think that that doesn't matter as much. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, that was my, my assumption was it doesn't matter anymore because of, you know, people are buying the, uh, buying the yeasts and, and choosing a particular yeast for, con, for the particular uh, profile. And it doesn't vary, you know, from, uh, from certainly this from year to year. Interesting. Yeah. You, so you, right. you, you, uh, when we were talking about what to name this chat, you talked about is the grass greener on the other side, um, which had to do uh, just in real brief. It had to do with being an expat uh, in France um, to follow as I'm gathering to follow your dream of being able to be kind of in in a in an area where you could easily travel and enjoy wines and then also piggyback that onto your business. So mm-hmm. what's the what's that what's that is the grass green on the other side? <laughs> all about <laughs> uh yeah well it was just kind of um um i mean i could talk about wine all day but it was interesting because of the timing of my move i mean like okay. I, mentioned, I was a french major um and so i had wanted to to move to europe for a long time i've traveled to europe a lot i uh, and i think that especially for people that love food and wine you know that's always a dream like you go to tuscany for vacation you're like oh i could live here it'd be so great of course um and but I moved here October 2019. I was in Florida um, for a little bit, um, like December, January, around that time. And then it was COVID. And so suddenly, I actually in March 2020, I had planned to not even I was we're gonna um, keep our stuff in storage, get rid of our apartment, and then because there is uh, a wine fair in Burgundy and Bordeaux and Dusseldorf and Verona, Italy, at the beginning of April. Um, it's going to go to Copenhagen. And so I was just like planning to like be nomadic and go to all these wine fairs, but then it was, you know, COVID. And so I had to cancel everything. Um, but the whole time that I was in France, it was so funny talking to people back into America because they were like, oh, you're so lucky that you're in France right now. And I'm like, I'm just doing a same shit. That just, I, don't, I don't know if people are on the show, sorry. You, you can. <laughs> okay, great. I was like, I'm just doing the same shit that you are. I'm just like in my tiny apartment working you know on my laptop in english all day the croissants are better i guess um and then it was became the other way too <laughs> like the french were like they because it kind of depended on the timing yes last summer was pretty open in europe and that was lovely for a few months but then we had six months of lockdown where literally we had a seven six gym curfew all winter it just opened up and then of course all the french people were looking at the americans and saying like oh that's so lucky like i went to florida in January, my parents live in Florida, so I go quite a bit. Um, and there, just complete turnaround. Like Disney World was open, bartenders weren't even wearing masks. And then all the French people were like, "Oh, like you're so lucky that you get to go and you know live a normal life." Talk to Australian friends, and they're jealous that we can leave the country, but we're all jealous that they can go to concerts. So I, I don't know. I think COVID, because we're all at home, just really got us fantasizing and thinking that life could be better somewhere else, where you know it kind of uh, put us in a situation where we forgot to count our blessings and recognize the good things that were happening locally. Um, and it did make it harder for me to appreciate France in all of its goodness because I 
you know, just working from home. <laughs> yeah. It does seem to be the, um, both a blessing and a curse to be able to, uh, like, like you are, you know, travel and then find experiences from, you know, around the world, let's say find, you know, find wines, uh, from the around, around the world and have, have a lot of different, um, uh, creative elements sort of brought into your life. Uh, because the, the, the belief, I think this is just a human condition issue. The belief is that that, that one little data point of, of, wow, this, you know, the air smells fresh and clean. I could live here forever is true right at the, right for that one little data point. And then you stick yourself there. You're like, ah, you know, same, like, you know, same, same shit, different, different country. Yeah. Uh, the, right. And, and, and so our availability to do all these things also feeds that feeling mm -hmm. like maybe, maybe this place that I'm at just isn't good and, you know, good or isn't good enough, or, you know, they've got it. They, the, those people over there got it so much better than us. Yeah. Um, and that's a, that's a expat that's like expats love to talk about how things are different in our country. And it's, and I mean, that's one thing that I really like because if, if you like to travel, of course, you like anywhere other countries and it's not just French people because here the expat community, luckily everyone speaks English, that's the international language. Um, but you know, you get to hear about people from Brazil or Poland or Germany or wherever. Um, and it's, I mean, there, there are definitely flaws in every system. Um, I think for me, it was about learning, you know, do I still love France if I can't travel? You know, what is it about this culture that, that drew me here? And is it the same? Because there are, there are a lot of issues that it sounds so great to pick up your life and move to another country, but it's really hard to emigrate. And we, I think we forget about that when we're moving from, you know, a first, not even just a virtual country, but one of like the G7 countries to another G7 country that's wealthy and there's a lot of opportunities. Um, but it's still really hard. I mean, I still like, we have social health care here, but you know, 18, 19 months later, I still don't, I'm not in the system because it's really just locked in France. Um, especially for someone that's self-employed. Um, and then they, they have all of these benefits, but taxes are really high. Um, but then Americans pay taxes. And, you know, in California, it's like you pay 40% taxes, but then you don't see your healthcare and the education and people power washing the streets in the morning. <laughs> you know, so it's like, where, where are my taxes going? Um, so you can always kind of play that card and see how it could be better somewhere else. Um, but, you know, then you're never really going to be satisfied. So you just have to decide at a certain point where your place is right now and if you enjoy what you're doing. Um, and, you know, for me, I really do, I do like France, um, but on the days where I'm, you know, talking to bureaucracy and, and my B plus French <laughs> and like trying to get healthcare, I'm like, there are definitely those days where it's like, F this country, let's just move to Texas, like, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I can, I can, um, I can believe that it's, it's much more difficult than what it sounds like. And I mean, movies also glamorize the whole idea of, you know, pick up your stuff and travel across the world and, yeah. you know, put down roots and that type of stuff. It's like, it's not quite that easy. Uh, from, from everybody I've talked to, there's a certain, you know, because uh, I, I know a handful of expats and um, there is a certain desire 
to go see the world. Like if I could go through and see the world, immerse myself in the culture, then I could understand that. But it also seems that um, that desire for immersion is not a permanent thing. It's like a, I'm going to see this part of the world, stay there for a, for a little while. And that gives me the ability then to go see this part of the world, stay there for a little while, and go see this part of the world, stay there for a little while, as opposed to, let's say, you know, the American dream of, you know, find, find the perfect happy little town and, you know, buy a house and stay there for the next 40 years. How, where are you at on that expat scale? Um, yeah. Okay. That's, it's funny because actually a lot of people do move to a place like France, planning to stay in France forever. And I have friends, American friends, other, other friends that are like, okay, Neil and place. I have, I love it. And I'm so happy for them that they found that. But I don't know if I, if I'll ever find a one, a place. And that's what's so important um, to, to recognize where you are right now and appreciate it in the moment. Because probably in three years when I'm living in Berlin or something, then I'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm so great. You know, and then how have my German frustrations? I don't know. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely more the, the world's my oyster. And um, when I talk to a lot of other expat friends, um, they, they see it that way too. It's, it's people ask, always want to know, especially Americans, oh, when are you moving back? What's your plan? But actually, this, once you have made this big step, you realize how open the world is. And especially because I didn't have, you know, I'm not here to teach English. I'm not a student. I'm not, um, I didn't have a contract with a French company. I did this myself. And so if you really want to do something, you, you can do it. And it, I mean, it can almost make it more confusing because at any point, like I could just move back or I could stay um, where I could probably just really, I'm rather indecisive. I'm also a Libra rising. So it's probably part of it. But <laughs> Okay. Where did, so, uh, this this feeling of traveling and this idea of I could go to another country and stay there, where did that develop in you? Was that was this always a thing for you, or did was there a turning point where you kind of went, I'm not in the Quad Cities anymore, and I'm gonna <laughs> move to France? Uh, yeah, no, it's it's funny um, because I think especially in the Midwest, it's I don't know maybe you have this experience in Oxford. Like I think a lot of Midwesterns do have that typical, I'm buy a house, I'm gonna have my two point five kids and and stay here um and i um i moved a lot growing up we actually the story is more complicated than quad cities i lived in like seven midwestern states but it's always the midwest and we didn't travel or at least not outside of you know to go to missouri to visit grandma or whatever um so i didn't but i did miss, i think when you move to a big city like chicago it, it can really open your eyes more i went to a really diverse university the university of illinois chicago like the top 20 most diverse schools and i um studied abroad in paris when i was 21. so i think when i first went abroad that was when i got the bug and then after that i i traveled as much as i could i think and probably as a young kid if you're if you're moving around uh you that comfort level of moving around was probably increased rather than or as opposed to if you had this comfort level of you know we are always in this hometown uh, it would yeah. it would probably be it would probably be more difficult to to believe that it's a positive experience to move around. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people from my high school see my life and they're like, "Oh, that's so sad. She's 33 and has no kids, and like she doesn't have art. I mean, actually, do own property, but I, you know, I don't have a home yet per se. Um, 
So I, I'm just throwing it in because I am a little bit of an adult for, for anyone from Gen Xio that's listening. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's just the thing. The grass is always greener. Whereas I'm like, wow, like you're 33 and you already have five kids. What's that like? <laughs> like you've never been abroad. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it is interesting, the twists and turns of life. And then whether we choose the things that, um, choose the things we end up doing, you know, like have, have, heading up to France or whether sometimes those things choose us and then we work with them. Uh, and uh, um, was it Ben Franklin who'd said opportunity uh, favors the prepared or something like that? Or luck, luck favors the prepared, um, which is also pretty yeah. true. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, there are, there are definitely situations like COVID, we can't predict it, but a lot of it I think is about attitude and optimism um and perspective yeah and the story you tell yourself hmm. so are your your um where where are your travels now that your you know covid seems to be opening up around the around the world are you getting out and able to go to other countries and taste some wines or are you still stuck for the time being no um well it's still very it's um uh it still depends a lot um, like the UK is still pretty closed. Um, Holland is still pretty closed, but within like the Schengen countries, it's um, it's pretty fluid for the moment. It can always change. But I'm actually on on July third. I'm headed to Madeira, which is um, a um, it's an island. It's actually closer to Africa, but it's part part of Portugal. And I'm going to be there for July, and then Lisbon for two weeks, and the Alan Pedro or um, no, the Alvare is so in Portugal for two weeks in August. Wow. And is this, is this in part uh, to taste wines? Yeah, but it's also mostly about beaches this time. Okay. I was just double checking. <laughs> there's, always, there's always wine, but um, sometimes my husband, you know, needs something different too. Yeah. Well, if you can do it, I mean, why, why not? And I think, you know, you made the comment earlier that, you know, people can, people can do this sort of thing. Um, it's not out of the grasp of reality, you know, for a lot of folks, they just believe they can't and therefore don't, but you know, mm -hmm. even, you're with, with or without kids, you know, I've known people who have decided, listen, we're going to, we're going to start traveling the world and we're going to craft our lives to do so. And so far as to, you know, what kind of job do I need to be able to, to be able to support myself and also do that remotely? It's, it's, um, there's, it's a world of opportunity, you know, not to be too cliche. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, going to Portugal for two months is still cheaper than it was to live in San Francisco. You know, wow, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, when people don't, even if you're being, of course, short-term rentals are always more expensive than having a, a lease. But um, I don't know. Travel is not always. And I think that people, you know, again, it depends on what you're looking for. Like travel is not necessarily expensive, even when you're going to an expensive place. Um, yeah. You can still find those opportunities if you're looking for them. Yeah. Well, our listener Fatima, who is on just the other day on Coffee with Humans, uh, ha brings up a very interesting and very valid point. Right, the grass is always greenest where you water it. Uh, yeah, I love that. So, is the grass always green on the other side? You know, not not really um not necessarily uh but water water the grass where you're at well thanks aubrey for joining me on coffee with humans this is 
really great to know you. I appreciate you taking the time here uh, out of your day to in to you know have coffee with me uh, and invite the world to that. So you're you can people can follow up with you um, either on LinkedIn or palletclub.com. Yeah, that that's the site. Um, my Instagram is Aubrey Pops Bottles. Um, so that's an option too. Okay. <laughs> if you want to get me directly. Fun Instagram name. I how do I spell that? I'm going to put it on the screen here. Sure. A U B R E Y T O P S B O T T L E S. Yeah. Aubrey Pops Bottles. Yeah. Instagram Aubrey Pops Bottles. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, or 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 palletclub.com. Uh, if palletclub.com is open for beginner, like beginner wine tasters, like, Hey, I'm just, yeah. just going to jump into this thing or intermediate or where, where, who's, who's the audience. Yeah. I, I think it's anyone we have, um, uh, setting this month off prices from $10, uh, but a good way to start is to get the blind tasting kit with four half bottles. And after you rate all four in the app, then I'll have your profile. Um, and so from then you can either get a subscription and discover new things, or you can even go in the shop and instead of trying to figure out if you're going to like it, it will say, you know, 79% match to your taste. Wow. Yeah. Super cool. I, I think, uh, it's a really interesting use for big data to, uh, to teach people or help people select wines because wine is a, wine is uh, a joy of life and why not have, why not have some help, uh, finding greater joy. So. Well, thanks, Aubrey, uh, for joining me on Coffee with Humans. It's been it's been a great time. Uh, for all viewers and listeners, Coffee with Humans is live, candid talk show conversations between strangers who become friends. I met Aubrey uh, about an hour ago, and then you have been uh, joining us on this journey of getting to know each other. So catch us live frequently on YouTube and then also Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitch, you know the places. So catch us next time. Coffee with Humans. Thank you. One of the things I love about Coffee with Humans are the raw conversations I get to have meeting new people just like you. If you or someone you know should be on Coffee with Humans, go to coffeewithhumans.com. Remember, the only rule is no sales calls.